Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But not only that, we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're going to get through most of this tonight. To keep us with what happened last night in the Tuesday study, we're going to not quite finish this section. There'll be some more of it we'll have to pick up in a couple of weeks. We're not going to be meeting next uh, Wednesday, but then we'll meet again in a couple of weeks after this. So Paul starts off in chapter 5, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word justified, as we've already looked at, means we are declared righteous. It's a legal term. God has declared us righteous. Go back to Romans chapter 3 and look at verses 23 and 24. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Go over to chapter 5 again and look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified, declared righteous, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We'll come into the second part of verse 9 in a little bit tonight. But I want to make sure you understand this. We've talked about it, but I really want to kind of look at it from a different angle here. If we have been declared righteous by God, that means we are no longer in the category of the wicked. You let that truth sink in. There's a distinction, the Bible says, between the righteous and the wicked. And if we have been declared righteous by God, justified by his blood through faith in the gift of Jesus Christ, are we wicked in the eyes of God? No. Do we still do things that some of the wicked people do? Yes. yes. Does that make us wicked? No. Well, let me ask you, you're right. But how do you know that that doesn't make you wicked? You've been justified by the blood. Let me ask you a question. Did you do anything to be declared righteous? No. You were declared righteous by God. So that means you can't do anything now to become wicked. You've already been declared righteous. Go to Malachi chapter 3. I want you to see that there's one day going to be a very, very clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. In Matthew, sorry, Malachi chapter 3, Malachi 3, verses 16 through 18. 
Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between one, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So one day there's going to be a very clear distinction between the wicked and the righteous. The righteous are going to be with him in eternity in his presence. The wicked are going to be for eternity separated from him in a place the Bible calls hell. But there is going to be one day a clear distinction. But right now in this world, it's not as clear who are the righteous and who are the wicked. And so what we're going to talk about, though, is allowing that. We're going to only just scratch the surface of that tonight. Allowing some of the truth of that we are declared righteous to take root in our hearts in such a way that people will start to see a glimpse of the difference between the righteous and the wicked. All right? Yes, go ahead. That was Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Now, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Salvation. No, going to our passage. We have peace with God. Now, you're going to find tonight that that peace has a whole lot more to it than just God's not angry at us anymore. Uh, let me just clarify something for you one more time. Go to Isaiah chapter 48. And look at verse 22. Isaiah 48, verse 22. By the way, this isn't the only place that this, the scripture says this. I'm just going to show you one. In Isaiah 48, verse 22, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. But for those of us who've been justified, declared righteous, we're at peace with God. Now, this peace and this justification comes only through who? Through Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take you back to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to kind of do a little trace of what the Old Testament and the New Testament talked about. We're only going to use New Testament passages to do it. But you're going to see that the Old Testament is being referenced in each of these New Testament passages. We're going to kind of trace how the Bible talked about this peace and started preparing people for this peace and then announced this peace. And it's now ours through Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, starting verse 67, we see Zechariah after the birth of John the Baptist for, to him and Elizabeth Remember, he was struck mute until the day that the child was born, and they said what his name was. And once he did, the Holy Spirit took over. Look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. That mean, filled means under, under control of the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, 
to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, John the Baptist, his son, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into what? The way of peace. Don't miss what happens here. The Holy Spirit takes over Zechariah. And he just starts prophesying and speaking truth that had already been spoken in the Old Testament, but it's now being put together. And as the Holy Spirit's putting it all together through the mouth of Zechariah, he says a few things like this. What was promised Abraham is now coming to fruition. And you, my son, are going to be the one who prepares the way of the Lord. And when he comes, he's going to give us salvation by forgiving people's sins. And he is going to guide people into the way of peace. Go to Luke chapter 2. Look at verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, shepherds. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We've already seen that Isaiah told him many years before, there's no peace for the wicked. But we also know that Zechariah has been quoting an Old Testament passage when he talked about how this one, this Savior, who's going to forgive people's sins and, and show tender mercy is going to guide people into the way of peace. And then the angels come and announce the birth of Jesus and they say, now peace is available but to who? To who? Those who in whom his favor rests. Good news of great joy. There'll be for all the people. It's for everyone. But the peace is only available to those on whom his favor rests. We'll go to Romans chapter 3 then. Let's go back to Romans 3 and remember how Paul has laid out in chapter 3 the fact that no one is righteous and everyone is wicked. Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 24. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace is... They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, before we keep reading, keep in mind, as we already looked at this, all those, verses, all those words are just quotes from the Old Testament about how God had been showing the nation of Israel in the world through his word during the Old Testament law and all the other prophets that man is wicked. Man is not a good person. And how many people nowadays say, well, I think Joe's a good guy. Well, if he doesn't know Jesus, he's not good. 
And actually, those of us who know Jesus are only good because he's declared us good. There's no one good but God. And my goodness only comes because of my being united with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But then the scripture also points out that there would be a way of peace. There's no peace for the wicked. But there is going to be a coming Savior. In his tender mercy, he's going to give salvation in the forgiveness of people's sins. And he's going to lead people into the way of peace. And when he was born, peace was announced, but only on those with whom his favor rests. And Paul has just laid out the way of peace the wicked have not known. Now look at verse 19. Now we know all those words from the Old Testament about the wickedness of man. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been made known or manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Go to Romans chapter 15 and look at verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now we know that this, this peace is going to be made known by the one who's going to lead us into the way of peace. And he is, been, the Savior had been born and peace is available. But look at what it says now in chapter 15 of Romans, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy in what? And peace in believing. Very good so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. How do we receive this peace? It's available to everybody, good news for all people, but the peace is only available on those whose his favor rests. Who does his favor rest on? Those who believe in the promise of the coming one. It's by faith that we're saved. It's by faith our sins are forgiven. It's by faith in Jesus that we've been declared righteous. Now go to Acts chapter 10. Peter, even though he is saved and been used by God to preach at Pentecost, still thinks that God only really likes the Jews. He wouldn't go into the house of a Gentile. He thought it would make him unclean, even though the scripture never said that. And so he's led by the spirit because of the vision and the sheet and all those things to go with these visitors to the house of the Gentile. And then in verse 34, listen to what, what Peter says now in verses 34 through 43. So Peter opens his mouth and he says, now that he's in Cornelius' house, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. By the way, what, is, what do we have to do in order to be right before God? Believe. Back in John chapter 6, verse 28, the Jews came to Jesus and said, what must we do to do the works of God? Verse 29, he says, the work of God is this, believe in the one that he sent. So when it talks about those who do good and those who do right, the doing right is believing in Jesus. That's what he's looking for, faith. You're not saved by anything you do except faith in Jesus Christ. As for the word, verse 36, 
As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of what? Peace. Through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here we see this piece has been talked about in the Old Testament pointed to the fact that it was going to be coming through this one who was going to be born. The peace was announced to the whole world at the day Jesus was born. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it be cool to have this peace? Wouldn't it be cool to have this peace? Now, I set you up. Go back to Romans chapter 5. You have it! Look at Romans 5.1. If you're in Christ Jesus, therefore, since we have been already declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You already have it. God's already not mad at you. You're at peace with God. Let me say something to you, and we're going to spend the rest of our time tonight dealing with the fact that even though we have this peace, many of us don't feel it. And that's I'm going to be honest with you, on us. It's available to you at all times. The question is, do you know how to tap into it? It's already yours. But I don't want to show hands because I don't want to embarrass you. But think to yourself honestly. How many of you have ever thought this after you were saved? Well, the reason why this bad thing happened, my mama died or I lost my job or whatever it is, I got sick. I got cancer. The reason why this happened is because God's punishing me for something I did or didn't do. You ever had those thoughts? Let me say something to you. It's very normal for us to have this, but that's the enemy lying to you. Because if you think that God's going to punish you after you've been saved, you really don't believe that Jesus paid the full price for your sins. You think Jesus paid part of it, Maybe most of it, but you still have to pay for your sins. Oh, by the way, some of you might have been raised in a denomination that said you got to believe that Jesus died for your sins, but you also got to do these seven sacraments and you got to make sure you die in a state of grace. He's done a big work, but you still got to do your part or else you might not get this full peace. No, you've been declared righteous by God and been declared righteous by God because of your faith in Jesus, you are at peace with God. You have this peace. And as he goes on, and because of this, we can, we can stand in this grace boldly and rejoice. But we'll get to that in just a bit. Why, though, don't we experience this peace all the time? Well, the Bible actually says that even though it's there, you have to drink of it daily, continually. It's not just something you're going to feel all the time. It's actually, as you're going to see, something that you also have to receive 
by faith on a daily basis. It's available to you and it's all yours. God's not mad, but now you have to learn how to receive it. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Go to Isaiah chapter 26 and look at verse 3. My prayer is that tonight, if you don't know what we're talking about, you can start really practicing how to experience the peace of God on a regular basis. Isaiah 26, look at verse 3. You, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How, do, how does God keep us in perfect peace, even though it's already ours and, he's, and we're, he's, he's not upset with us? We keep our minds stayed on him. We focus on him. Now, before I go any further, I'm going to give you an illustration that I used last night, and I'm going to use it again tonight. You know, and after I talked about this last night, my wife came to me and said, do you know what those things are actually called? And I'm like, no, actually, I don't. She told me. They're called rumble strips. You know, when you're driving down the road and you get off the path a little bit and get the rumble strips and all of a sudden you hear go, 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 and that wakes you up a little bit. Hey, let's get back on the path. For years, when our kids were little and I'd start getting a little distracted or maybe a little sleepy on one of our trips, then you'd hear go, 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 and our kids would go, whoa, dad. And I'd say, I'm driving by Braille. <laughs> the Holy Spirit who lives within us and God has designed our bodies and our minds to recognize when we get off that path of perfect peace, the gug, 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 you know what it feels like? Worry, anxiety, fear, anger. Those emotions that aren't peace are the Holy Spirit saying, you've taken your eyes off of me and you've put them on to something else. That's why when Peter was told by Jesus, come out of the boat in the storm, he had a boldness that he actually stepped out of the boat in the middle of the storm. The winds hadn't calmed down. The waves hadn't gone down. He stepped out in the midst of it because Jesus said, and he was looking to Jesus, but where did he take his eyes after he got out on the water? The Bible says he started to look at the wind and the waves. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he started looking at the storm in his life. And what happened? He started to sink and he cried out, save me. And what does Jesus say? Oh, you of little faith. Now, go to John chapter 16. We've already been given this peace with God through Jesus Christ, but we can only really experience it and, and feel it, if you will, on a regular basis by continually, continually turning to Jesus, knowing what he said, believing the promises. John chapter 16, look at verse 33. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, what has he just said to them? He said, I've already said these things to you. I've just said these things to you so that in me you'll have peace. In the world you're going to have problems. What did he just said to them? Look at the verses right in front. What has he just said? Nope. That's what he said afterwards. What did he say prior to this? You're going to be scattered. You're all going to leave me. You're all going to go away. You're going to go through a time of trial, and you're actually not going to do so good. But I've told you ahead of time, so that when you freak out, you'll come back to me. In me, 
is where your peace is going to be. In the world, you're going to have problems. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight as we close to set the stage for when we come back in a couple of weeks. But in me, you'll have peace because I've overcome the world. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Look at verses 4 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord once in a while. Always. Again, in case you missed it, I'm going to say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness, some translations say, be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. The Lord's here. The Lord's near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. How do we drink of this peace that's all ours? I like how the father in the prodigal son story said to the older son, my son, I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. You're still trying to earn it. You're just trying to, to be good enough. to. It's there. Believe it. Receive it. How do we receive it on a daily basis? How do we drink of this peace that we have now because we've been declared righteous and we're at peace with God? How do we do it? According to this verse, there's some answers here. How do we do it? We break our requests to him. We spend time in prayer. Oh, and we do it with thanksgiving. And we think of things that are praiseworthy. And we count our blessings. And we focus on who he is. And he gives us a peace. Listen closely. He gives us a peace that surpasses the understanding of what's going on in our life. It does, as you're going to see in a little bit, the world thinks that peace comes when your problems go away. That's not how God gives peace. He gives peace even though the problem's still there. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. Oh, and by the way, my wife's got this little thing in our kitchen, and it says it's not happy people who are thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. It's not happy people who are thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. That's biblical. Those who spend their time appreciating what God has done, knowing who he is, thanking him for the promises that are ours. Oh, I think it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him so that we may partake of all the divine promises. Yes, ma'am. You got it. Then we're not going to walk in it. That's it. That's excellent. Go to Colossians. You're in Philippians. Go over to Colossians. One book. Look, there's some more ways you can drink of this peace. Look at what it says here in Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ that you already have rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There it is again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let me ask you a question. If you're complaining, are you going to have peace? If you're grumbling, are you going to have peace? 
If you're pointing out all that's wrong with the world and all that's happening, and man, the government's a mess, and, and all the people in, and the people in this area, they can't drive, and all these different things. If you spend all your time talking about the problems, are you going to have peace? No, you have it, but you're not going to experience it. He said, look, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. Oh, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the peace of Christ that's yours rule in your hearts. Oh, and on top of that, what else does he say to do? It's right there. Sing. Sing. Play great music. Play music that talks about who God is. By the way, I want to chase something real quick. Let me just say this to you. I'm not into music that just says makes you feel good. I think that biblical music is music that glorifies God and sings of who God is. I've always been, and if your church does this, I'm sorry. I've always been kind of not liked the countdown clock on the screen. Five, four, three, two, one. And then we stand up and start singing. Listen closely. Worship, according to the scriptures, is a response to something that has been revealed to us about who God is. Years ago, our churches used to have the call to worship. Remember, services had a call to worship. Then it became just simply a prelude and someone played an instrument before the service started. But I, I, when I work with churches around the country and I work with some of their leadership teams, I sit down with them and I say, listen, let your service start with a prayer. And in that time, let the prayer uh, actually talk about who God is or start with a scripture. And then have the song be tied to what has just been revealed to us from the word of God about who God is. I know here at LifePoint, throughout the worship every now and then, the praise team will just start reading scripture. And then the song will be tied to what we've just read about. Worship should be in response to who God is. So a lot of the songs written nowadays are about us. And I'm just going to challenge you. Start looking for music that sings about who he is. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, on him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You'll have peace even in the midst of the struggle. Go to John 14, look at verse 27. We already touched on this, but I want you to see it from Jesus himself, his own words. John 14, look at, John 14, look at verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Chapter 14, verse 27. Listen again what Jesus said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, we've already touched on this. The world's definition of peace is your problems go away. Hey, you know, that bad boss I had, he just got fired. Whew, we're going to have peace in the office now. No. That's not the kind of peace God's talking about. Oh, but what has he just said prior to this in verse 27? Again, look at the verses around the verses we look at. What has he just said in verses 25 and 26? He said, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and make melody in your heart to the Lord and be thankful. Praise him for who he is. And this peace that is already yours 
you'll begin to regularly drink of it. What's God going to give you to let you know that you've kind of gotten off the path of keeping your mind stayed on him? Rumble strips. I'm angry. I've taken my eyes off the Lord. I'm worried. I've taken my eyes off the Lord. I'm anxious. Take my eyes off the Lord. Go back now and look at what Paul says in Romans 5. We're not going to dwell too much on this. I'm going to hit it quick because we've got a lot to cover in the time we have left here. But in Romans 5, listen again, verses 1 and following. Therefore, since we have already been justified by faith, we have this peace with God. If We have to drink of it daily through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope, that's certainty, of the glory of God. If you did a study of the word hope in the Bible, you'll see that sometimes the word hope means, I hope it happens, but I don't know if it will. But the context always shows you what the word hope really means. If the word hope is tied to something God has said, the word doesn't mean, I hope it'll happen, I don't know if it will. The word hope means confident. We are sure that it's going to happen. So when it talks about here, the hope of the glory of God, has he not promised and guaranteed that those who are in him are guaranteed heaven? So is that I hope it'll happen, I don't know if it'll will, or will, or is that a confidence? It's a confidence, the hope, the confidence of the glory of God. Go to 1 Peter with me real quick. 1 Peter. I'm sorry? The glory of God gives you the hope. The glory of God gives you the hope. Yes. And believing his word gives you the hope. The Holy Spirit gives you the hope. It's all that. Go to 1 Peter 1. Look at verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to verses 3 through 5. And put a bookmark here because we're going to come back here in just a little bit. 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 5. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Don't miss this. He said, we've been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he goes on and he says, this eternity that's ours is undefiled, unfading, is kept where? Who's holding on to your salvation, you or him? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, which is the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the time we get it to the praise of his glory. He's marked you as his. He's promised that you're going to be going with him. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, His spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children. But look again, we've been caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me say something to you, and you already know the answer, but I want you to look at it a different way. You're going to heaven because of who? Jesus. Who's the one who has given you the righteousness? Who's the one holding on to your righteousness? Is he going to die? No, he's already died once and risen from the dead never to die again. Is he going to get Alzheimer's? No. So you're secure because the one who's given it to you, the one who's holding on to it, the one who knows your name, 
He's never going to die, and he's not going to get Alzheimer's, so you're, you're set. You can stand in this grace. You can be confident and rejoice. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's going to be important in a little bit. 1 John 5, 13, don't turn there now, but if you want to look at it later on, John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to be confident of this eternity that we've been given. But go back to Romans 5, 1 now and following, and look again, though. He says, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God or the confidence that we're going to heaven, but we can also rejoice. We'll look again at verse, three, verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But not only that, we also rejoice in our what? In our what? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he's given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified, declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we can rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me ask you this question. Why does the confidence of the glory of God, the hope of the glory of God, and the fact that we're at peace with God allow us to rejoice in our suffering? I've already told you tonight. What, what can you know, first and foremost, in the middle of your suffering? Well, if I die, I go to be with him. That's the second part. You're definitely saved, but is it happening because God's mad at you? It's not happening because he's mad at you. When, when I got cancer, and I didn't know if I was going to live or die, I'm not going to take the time to go back into the whole story. If some of you heard it, some of you might not have. I ended up on an airplane one time and was interviewed by a, the NBC reporter, Kerry Sanders. And he found out about my cancer, and he was interviewing me on the airplane, and he asked me this question. He said, did your faith help you? And I said, yes, it did. I said, because I knew that God had already punished Jesus on the cross for all of my sins, and therefore he wouldn't be punishing me with this cancer. And also, I knew that if I died, because I didn't know if I was going to make it or not, there was some touch and go periods during the chemo. I knew that if I died, I would go to heaven, and I had a peace. My faith actually helped me. I'll get back, if we have time tonight, to the second part of his interview and his question later on, but we'll just say this. We can rejoice in our guaranteed future in heaven and we can do so because we know that God is not mad at me when this is happening. And he's promised that all things will work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But Paul then goes on and he says, if you still don't get it, think about it this way. When you were still a sinner, God so loved you that he sent his son to die for your sins. And you were reconciled to him when you were his enemy. How many people here, show of hands, served military? Anybody here military? All right, those that are military, help me out here because I wasn't trained military, but I think I'm right. Um, 
you were trained on how to defeat your enemy, correct? You've, you were trained to defeat your enemy. There's lots of ways you were trained to do it. You could cut off their supply or these different things. But you were taught that once you render your enemy powerless, then you can get them, correct? The Bible says when we were powerless, when we were sinners, deserving of hell, and God's enemy, he had us. What did he do? He sent his own son to die for you. So if he did that when you were dead, crippled, defeated, weak, how much toast is great. I love it. How much more now? How much more now will you be saved from his wrath now that you're reconciled to him through the blood of his son? And as we're going to get into, as we go down the road in the book of Romans, actually experience his power through Jesus' life. Yet, boy, the enemy, is a, he's pretty good, isn't it? He's pretty, really good at kind of, God's mad at you right now. God's really disappointed with you right now. Hang on for a second, I'll get right to you. God's, God's really not going to love you as much as he loves other people that are gooder. Go ahead. Normally people say, um, he, he had us where he wanted us. But he didn't in this case. He had us. Uh, uh, it's all right. It's on recording, but go ahead. Go ahead and just don't let that bother you. <laughs> so he had us where uh, he didn't he didn't want us to stay. Oh, I like that. He had us where he wanted us, but he had us where he didn't want us to stay. I like that. I like that a lot. That's excellent. Now, listen. Go to first John chapter four. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. I like that, though. I'm going to steal that, Glenn. I'm going to say it a little clearer and faster, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that. 1 John chapter 4, look at verses 9 and 10, and then verses 13 through 18. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest, made known among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be the propitiation. There's that big word again for our sins. Then it jumped down to verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 5, he's poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given to us? And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world and there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears in this way has not been perfected in love. Look again at verse 16. We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. I'm going to ask you a question. I want to show hands. Don't answer too quickly. Think it through before you answer. How many of you have come to know the love of God and believe the love that he has for you? 
If you're like me, the answer is yes, but I can't put my hand all the way up. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I know his love, and I believe his love, but I still don't. I have enough to be saved, and he's begun his work in my heart. But that's why Paul wrote to believers in Ephesians chapter 1, and he said, I hope that you, God would give you the spirit of revelation, that you would know him better, the hope to which he's called you, the glorious inheritance that we have in the saints, and his mighty power available for us to believe. Writing to believers, he's just said... Thank God that he sealed you and give you a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. But he then goes on and he says, I pray that you would understand more. And then in chapter 3 in 14 through 21, he goes on and he says this. I'm not going to quote the whole section. But he says, my prayer is that together with all the saints, you'll be rooted and grounded in love. And you'll know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. Folks, I'm going to look you in the eye and tell you I've been a Christian since 1973. And I've been walking with Jesus pretty closely for a long, long time. And I've been preaching his word and being used of him for years, almost 40 years now. I've been preaching full time and I love his word and I love the Lord. And I can look you in the eye and say, I know his love and I believe his love, but I don't. Because I still. Anybody else there? But it's OK. He likes showing more of himself to us, but he lovingly is continually saying, my son, my daughter, I'm always with you. Everything I have is yours. You just got to receive it by faith. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to be good enough. Accept that you're loved. Then he says something here we don't have time to deal with. We'll get to it later on. But look at, look at what he says in verse, uh, end of verse 17. He's, he's, well, we'll just read all verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Isn't that interesting? I mean, you would agree that he's pretty set when it comes to righteousness and holiness. And as he is, so are we if we're in him. It's ours. We don't live it out. We don't live it out. So we're going to learn in the next few weeks as we go on further in Romans how to let this truth, the power that's within us, take root. But we need to go to Romans 8 real quick, verses 31 through 39 to Again, still lay this foundation. We need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. We need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. And that's only going to happen by faith in his word. And listen to Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? We'll deal with what he said earlier at another time. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? For who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who condemns. By the way, John 22 says the Father judges no one. He's handed all judgment over to the Son. So if Jesus is the one who justified you, and Jesus is the one who does the judging and the condemning, and we're already right with him and at peace with God, more than that, he was raised, and he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us. Listen to what he says next. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All these things that make us go, 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 go. As it is written, for your sake, God, because we're your children, we are being killed all the day long. 
We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Just in case there's an engineer in here that looked for a loophole. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Years ago, I had a great-grandmother who lived to be 102. But when she was in her 80s, she and the family were in a car going on a highway, a big highway in Connecticut, and it had like eight lanes of traffic, and it was icy, and it was wintertime, and they were going, and they got in a horrible, horrible car crash, probably similar to what's just happened tonight on 95, and their car was just mangled. They got spun around, and they were just totally uh, incapacitated, and they couldn't do anything. The doors wouldn't open, and she was in her 80s, and both of her legs were broken in the back seat. That's how bad of a wreck it was. And so they just decided until the emergency vehicles can come to hold hands and pray. This was her prayer. When it came time for her to pray, this is all she said. Father, I am your child through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do with me as you will. She was at perfect peace because her mind was stayed on him Nothing will separate me from God's love for me, not even what's just happened. I got to be honest with you. I'm a worrier. I worry about bad things happening. I've shared with you before. I so wish my kids could call me. And my first thought isn't what's gone wrong. When their name comes up on the phone, I'm like, are they okay? Were they in a wreck? Did they run out of gas? Do they need money? And I was sharing this with my pastor at my home church. He's a younger than me. I'm 57 in a couple of weeks, and he's now just turned 40. I was sitting with him and just sharing about this. We've been friends for years, and we love to spend time together. And I just shared with him. He goes, let me ask you a question. He said, is God good? I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, what if your kids die in a horrific car crash? Has that changed? And I said, I hate you. <laughs> No, it wouldn't change. He said, you got to let that truth sink in before you'll ever get to the point that your kid's phone number will come up and you won't be worried. When that truth sinks in, I know and believe, but I don't. And if you're like me, we need to keep drinking and allow that truth to take root in our hearts. Now, if we're God's children then, and nothing will separate us from his love, why doesn't God keep us from suffering? You notice how Jesus has already said, you're going to have trouble. You're going to blow it a lot of times. And in the world, you're going to have problems. But that's actually how I've designed things. And the scripture has said all along, for his sake, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. If we're his children, why does he allow the suffering to happen to us? And there are churches out there who will tell you, though, if you're walking right with God, it won't happen. But don't listen to them. They're not teaching the Bible. Because we live in a sinful world, and mm -hmm. he wants us to go to him and not look well, that's a big part of it, Glenn, because he said because we're in a sinful world and he wants us to not look around but go to him. But there's other, two other reasons we're going to pull out. One tonight, one in two weeks. Hebrews tells us that Jesus himself learned obedience through suffering. We're going to deal with that one when we come back in two weeks. He said Jesus himself learned obedience through suffering. We're going to deal with that in two weeks. I'm going to deal with one reason tonight in the seven minutes we have left. 
There's lots of reasons that he actually allows the suffering, but one that we're going to look at is this. The suffering confirms our salvation in our hearts. God already knows those who are his. Anybody here ever had Satan mess with you? Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. I hope I am. I wonder if I, anybody had that. If you hadn't, you haven't been listening to the enemy at all because he's, he's good at that one. Our response to suffering, by the way, the Bible says, will show us if we have faith or not. It actually confirms our faith. Go back to 1 Peter. Remember I told you we're going to look, come back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 9. Look closely what the scripture says there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These, some, these trials have come to prove your faith genuine. Remember how I told you the reporter asked me, did your faith help you? The second question he asked me was this. Did your faith get stronger or weaker through the trial? And I said, that's a really good question. Because it's easy to go around and travel and preach. There's nothing to have to live it. And I said, I can tell you and look you in the eye and tell you, my faith is stronger now than it was before. It's confirmed my salvation, and it's gotten stronger. We'll deal with that aspect in two weeks, but go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look at verses 2 through 4 and then verse 12. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing jump down to verse 12 blessed is the man who remains steadfast under the trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him let me ask you a question. Jesus said in the parable of the soils that some seed fell on the rocky soil and some seed fell on the thorny soil and tests came to those, those seeds, right? To, to the soils. And then when persecution came to the seed that fell on the rocky soil, even though it had sprung up and sure looked like salvation, what happened? It died and withered. Why? Because it wasn't real salvation. It had no root. The trial showed that person really wasn't saved. Some of you have been through things that are way worse than what I've been through. Some of you might have lost children. My mom actually had three um, uh, uh, miscarriages between my older sister and myself. And this is back in the day when she had to wait till my dad got home. 
And he'd get home from work, and she'd have to open the paper towel and show him what's happening. Becky's parents have actually been through a stillborn situation where the child was far enough along that they actually had to have a full funeral and casket. You've been through things like that. Why are you still here? It's because he began a good work is going to finish it. And your faith isn't tied to how good he's been to you in this life. His, your faith is how good he's been to you for eternity. Matthew chapter 7. Go to Matthew 20, chapter 7. Look at verses 24 through 27, and we'll close with this tonight. And when we come back in two weeks, we'll look at another reason why God allows the trials. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. I deal with so many people over the years that say, I don't believe in God anymore because he let this happen or that happen. I don't want to believe in a God. That person never had salvation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says, they went out from us, but they never were of us because if they were of us, they would have stayed, but their leaving showed that they never were of us. That's 1 John chapter 2, verses 19 and following. Listen to Matthew 24, verses, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Listen to the words of Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. By the way, what are the things that God wants us to do? The people that hear these words and do them, what is it that he wants us to do? Have, believe in the one that he sent. Put all your eggs in one basket. Folks, let me say something to you real quick as we close. If you're in Christ, and you might die, I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? It's all gain. I went and there was a police officer in Palm Bay years ago who was dying of cancer and he's a believer. And we we're all around the hospital bed. The family's there, wife and daughter. Everybody's crying. And he says, if you're crying for me, don't. He goes, I'm in the best position. You all are going to have to deal with losing me if I go. But he goes, I'm, in, I'm the winner in this situation. Because if I die, I go be with the Lord. If I live, I get to stay with you all. I'm the winner. He goes, I'm going to hate to say it. You are the losers. I'm the winner. Folks, are you living for this life or the one to come? And if you really understand that you've been declared righteous, you're no longer in the category of the wicked. Oh, there's no peace for the wicked. But for those who are righteous... We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and we can rejoice in our sufferings because God is not mad, and he's already given us eternity, and he's got other things in mind between now and then, and we'll talk about those in, the, in two weeks. I love you. We'll see you then. Thanks for coming.